You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everybody and welcome back to Who Did What Now? The history podcast that is not your history class with me, your disorganised host, Katie Charlewood macabre unicorn and reader of books Okay, okay, this episode's a little sooner than what you're used to If you are used to being here, and if you're new, hi and welcome. I don't usually do this many episodes in a week, but here we go. Because it is Women's History Month, I decided to give myself the challenge. And I have such a habit of starting a challenge and then giving up halfway through. But I was like, no, I'm determined. I'm going to power through. And so I am working my way through the sex tutor queens. You can be like, they're queen consorts. I don't care. I'm going to call them the Sex Tudor Queens, the Sex Wives of Henry VIII. And even so, um, technically he was only married two or three times, depending on how you want to look at it. Whether you're going by canon law or Church of England, uh, and whether you take into consideration annulments and divorces and so on and so forth. We have already discussed Catherine of Aragon, number one, number two, Anne Boleyn, and number three we have now on to Jane Seymour, who everyone seems to think is sweetness and light, but um, I'm not convinced. I think generally our perception of Jane Seymour comes from the fact that everything is rooted in Henry's misogyny. If you haven't listened to the other episodes, you don't have to. But like, if you want to have a, a greater understanding of the of the timeline, it may interest you to go back and listen to Catherine of Aragon, the true queen, and Anne Boleyn, the divisive queen. What did I call it? I called it something. I said it before and I said it again, they all deserve their stories to be told in their own right. So each queen gets her own episode and that's just how it's going to be. I'm sick and tired of them always being in addition to his story, as if their lives are irrelevant unless attached to him. And they're not, because they were people too. And frankly, I am quite happy. Happy is a peculiar way to put it. But frankly, I like that I have something to distract me from more disastrous history repeating itself attacks against women and you might be like the women have to deal with stuff every day if you don't want to hear me rant just skip forward like a minute and you'll be fine and the story is tragic and i don't even know if it was preventable and i'm angry and i am upset and then the misogynistic rhetoric 
which is being regurgitated regarding women, stating that we are, it is our fault that we get attacked. It is our fault that men follow us home. It is our fault that many, many men feel that they are entitled to our time and our bodies. I don't care how well you know me. I don't care if we've been best friends my entire life. I don't care if we're good friends or we're related or I fucking raised you. If you cannot be responsible and respectful and and if you believe that you are entitled to another person, fuck you, fuck that and fuck off. I will not be standing by your side. I'll be standing on your fucking neck. Okay, rant over. Okay, okay, I hear you. You've ranted enough, Katie. Quit that jibber-jabber and fact me. Well, I shall, but first of all, gotta get those sources. Okay, that's right, turtles, it's sourcing time. So we have Jane Seymour, Henry VIII's true love by Elizabeth Norton. And also Jane Seymour, Henry VIII's favourite wife by David Lodes. Also theambleinfells.com, biography.com history.com and britannica.com and i kid you not natgeokids.com <laughs> the six wives of henry VIII. as you can tell by some of the uh, sources there jane seymour is generally seen as henry's favorite wife and she's also seen as very obedient and docile however i think jane seymour was a wily bitch and we're gonna talk about it let's start at the beginning Jane was born, most likely, remember, that women in the past weren't really seen as that important and unless you were, like, of high nobility, so, like, unless you're a princess or something, very unlikely they're gonna have your exact birth date. So, Jane Seymour was born somewhere between 1504 and 1509, not sure when. So, she was either born at Wilfall in Wiltshire or Westborough Manor in Somerset. Flop a coin! Guess we'll figure it out. So yeah, Jane was born somewhere in England at some point at the turn of the 16th century to Sir John Seymour and Marjorie Wentworth. Her family are relatively well respected because through her maternal grandfather, she was a descendant of Lionel of Antwerp, the first Duke of Clarence. So, which made her a fifth cousin of Henry VIII. And she also had a great-grandmother, Elizabeth Cheney, Elizabeth Cheney, with his second and fifth wife, Anne Boleyn and Catherine Howard, who we'll get to it later on. So although her family were well-respected and, of course, were nobles, she was lower in rank than, obviously, Catherine of Aragon, who was a princess, and Anne Boleyn, and even Anne Boleyn. And her education was quite different to Catherine and Anne. But while Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn had a very progressive education, Jane's was somewhat less so. It was more fitting to what a wife should have had. So Jane wasn't illiterate. She could read and write a little, but she was more skilled in things like needlework and household management, which were generally seen as, you know, very typical of what a lady should have. In fact, but she was actually, she, she didn't just do needlework, she was actually really proficient in it. And apparently, apparently her needlework was so beautiful and intricate and elaborate that it actually survived up until the 1600s, so for another century. At which point it was then given back to, at which point it was then given back to the Seymour family. And after that, I'm not really sure what happened to 
her embroidery. Jane actually had eight siblings. The Seymours were known for having a lot of kids. So yeah, Jane's main role in her life was to, was to wife up, pop out a bunch of kids, preferably boys, obviously. And that, that's, that was kind of her role. And that's where her education was leading her. So the Seymours were an ambitious family and her older brothers, Edward and Thomas, they ended up becoming close advisors to King Henry VIII. And she ended up being a maid of honour for Henry's first wife, Catherine of Aragon. And she really looked up to Catherine. In her younger years, when she was a young lady, she was courting William Dormer, uh, the son of Sir Robert and Lady Dormer. But even though William and Jane were betrothed and were looking forward to something, his mum put the kibosh on it because she thought Jane just wasn't noble enough, which is kind of funny when you think about where she ended up. So in her, so yeah, so she's in her late teens, early twenties, and she's serving Catherine of Aragon. She watched their marriage crumble and the estrangement and everything else that goes with it. And she watched from the sidelines as Henry and Anne began their affair, their marriage, and so on and so forth. So yeah, by fifteen thirty three, Anne was Queen of England. So while Henry was besotted with Anne in his own way, Jane was just sort of hanging out in the background. And as we know, Anne was an exotic beauty compared to the people of England. She was she had sallow skin, dark eyes, chestnut hair. And Jane was very much the opposite of that. She had blue eyes and blonde hair, and she was incredibly pale. Modern historians think that she may have suffered from anemia or something to that effect. Or maybe she just never went out in the sun. Who knows? But she very much had that ideal look of the Tudor Rose. Pale, blonde demure, so on and so forth. Jane is often described as meek and mild-mannered and like really calm and serene. And I think there's a lot more bubbling underneath that surface. So even though she really admired and really loved Queen Catherine, when Anne Boleyn became queen, she seamlessly just slipped on in there and became her lady-in-waiting. While Jane is at the sidelines watching Anne's marriage to Henry crumble, I find it really funny that the very thing that Anne Boleyn is chastised for, Jane Seymour gets praised. So yeah, while Jane was at court, in just a couple of years, she saw Henry VIII completely break away from the Catholic Church, change England's religion, divorce Catherine of Aragon, and marry Anne Boleyn. And then, and Henry is no longer content with Anne's fiery ways. He enjoyed Catherine's intelligence. He enjoyed Anne's intelligence. And now he wanted someone who was the exact opposite of his previous wives. And so, enter Jane. And people say Jane wasn't smart. Jane had to be. And Jane was so aware that Anne Boleyn was coming down because she paid attention. And she also had her brothers in court advising Henry. So, she ensured that she was the exact opposite of Anne. Anne was bold and brash and outspoken and fiery. And Jane, she always portrayed herself as mild-mannered or shy or fucking meek. So in 1536, Anne is pregnant and Henry had already started to attempt to court Jane Seymour. And here's the thing, Anne Boleyn had enemies coming from her from both sides. So no matter what Anne did, and without a male heir, Anne was doomed. She was doomed. So Henry is courting, or at least trying to court Jane. He starts flirting with Jane at court events. 
and it balls and then he starts playing the courtly game of love and Jane plays back and he is doing the same thing he did with Anne. He sends her letters, he sends her gifts and she does again the exact opposite of what Anne does. Instead of responding to the letters, instead of accepting the gifts, she returns them unopened. But it's quite funny because Jane followed Anne's blueprint and during Henry's flirting he gives her a purse of gold and tells her to save it until she makes a good marriage. So she holds on to this coin purse up until that winter after they're married and she hands it back to him like I made a good marriage. And the funny thing is Henry's interest in Jane is only about three months before Anne's execution. So Jane is about 27 years old at this point and as such she was kind of seen as an old maid and there was a rumour going around that basically that Jane wasn't pure. Uh, so basically she wasn't a virgin. See there is a theory that um Henry liked this idea because it meant that he would have grounds for divorce. Although with his preference and the way that he saw himself I don't really hold any water to that because he wanted a true queen so that he could have a true heir because again fucking divine rights of kings he's obsessed with. Anyhow. So Anne Boleyn is pregnant and if this is a boy, Jane doesn't really stand much of a chance. And honestly, we don't know if Jane would have been happy just being the king's mistress. Eventually, she does accept a gift from Henry and it's a locket. A beautifully crafted locket necklace with a teeny tiny portrait of him inside. Which is even crueler when you think that's exactly what he did to Anne, except it was a bracelet instead of a necklace. Jane held herself and portrayed herself in a way that was docile and gentle-mannered in court. But when it came to Anne, she happily paraded her flirtation with Henry. And she stood there opening and closing her locket so that Anne could see. And Anne being Anne, pregnant and fucking mad, rips it so hard off of her neck that her fingers bleed. So Jane, deciding to rub salt in the wind. She decides that her, for her pièce de résistance, she's going to get the young Lady Mary, Henry and Catherine's daughter, on her side. So yeah, she aligns herself with Mary Tudor. So even before Jane and Henry get married, she was trying to bring Mary back to court. Jane knew Mary from when she served Catherine of Aragon and she watched Mary get cast aside and she just bided her time. Jane was able to do what Anne couldn't. So, uh, I mean, considering Mary fucking despised Anne Boleyn. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? 
Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. It wouldn't have been hard to get her on site. So there's the jousting tournament where... Henry gets knocked off his horse and is unconscious for two hours. And this is generally used as the reason that the shock of this caused Anne's miscarriage. But the other story goes that she walked in on lovely darling Jane sitting on Henry's lap. And so the stress of the event basically causes Anne to miscarry her baby, which some people refer to as a mass, while others refer to as definitely being a boy. So either way, this is the beginning of the end for Anne Boleyn. Absolutely. Without uh, without a son and heir, she was gone. Her place was ruined. So while Anne is recovering from, you know, the physical and mental trauma of her miscarriage, Jane and her family are moved into royal quarters. The same thing Henry did with Catherine. And on the 19th of May, 1536... Queen Anne is executed and Jane was now ready. The very next day, yes, and I do mean the very next day, May 20th, Henry and Jane are betrothed. They're engaged. It's... And ten days later, Henry VIII and Jane Seymour marry in a eh, relatively private wedding ceremony at Whitehall Palace. So that was the 30th of May. And five days later, (laughs) June announces... His new queen, his new wife, Queen Jane, to the public. So Jane, even though we call her queen, Jane never actually gets a coronation because one of the reasons they use is they say that because the plague was raging through London at the time uh, that Henry kept putting off the coronation for safety reasons. But there's always a possibility because, you know, Henry's an absolute gobermouch that he was he was holding off until Jane provided him with a son and heir. So as a wedding present, when Henry and Jane get married, he grants her 104 manors across four counties, actual forests, and including places where she can go on a hunting trip. And Jane liked to hunt. So again, Jane deliberately made herself the exact opposite of Anne. When Anne Boleyn had many courtiers and many maids and surrounded herself with people and Jane was stripped down. So Jane's time in court, so Anne loved her parties and the gala and the fun and what Jane did is she reined everything in. Everything was about decorum and like respectability and so on and so forth. So before and after she very much projected this good girl docile wife image. Jane gives herself the motto bound to obey and serve she made her ladies in waiting um 
follow this code of conduct. So they had to be chaste and think only about how they could serve God and be virtuous. Now, we can take this from the perspective that, oh, it's about ensuring that they're, you know, they follow the good way, the Catholic way, because Jane was a conservative Catholic. Or it could be, well, Jane was a lady-in-waiting for two of his former queens, and Anne was a lady-in-waiting for a former queen, Bessie Blout was a lady-in-waiting for Catherine of Aragon, and so on and so forth. And while Henry had, like, tried to remove as much of Anne as possible, Jane followed suit. So Anne Boleyn had brought very much the French style to the English court and sort of the European styles that were from the continent. And Jane banned them. She banned French clothing. She wanted English styles. Jane is, how do I put this? Being being married to Henry VIII, it's kind of like you're walking on eggshells, but you've also got people throwing tomatoes at you. Like, except, and you're surrounded by vipers. Like, it's, it's not... It's not an easy thing to do. So Jane knew when to push and she knew when to pull. And this is why she's really wily, right? So a couple of months into their marriage, she goes down on her knees and she begs Henry to restore the abbeys that he had destroyed and trashed and wiped out. And what he does is warn her of what happens to wives who meddle in his affairs. And so she backed out. Jane probably had him at his best, you know? He was a little bit less tyranty. He was a bit more chilled. Anne was a bit more antagonistic and Jane was Jane was soothing to him, mainly because she massaged his ego. And in fairness, if she hadn't given him a son, it might very well have been a very different state of affairs. Jane paid attention to Henry's moods and mood swings. And she was careful about where she tread. But also, this is before he puts on weight and gets gout and becomes incredibly tyrannical. Then six months after they were married, Jane is pregnant and she is back on this Mary issue again. She wants him to bring Mary back to court. And she sort of slowly but surely just nip, 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 nip at him. And, and, and eventually Henry does agree. But on one condition, because as far as Henry is concerned, everybody has to listen to him. Everybody, because everybody has to agree with him. <sighs> because he's a self-centered douchebag. So even though it's a moot point and does not matter, he agrees to bring Mary back to court if she states that the marriage of him Catherine of Aragon and Henry VIII was invalid. Like, she has to sign a document to that effect. And like, and here's the thing, Catherine is dead, so it literally doesn't matter. And so Mary signs it and she's back in the fold. So this actually leads to Henry inviting Elizabeth back to court for Christmas in 1536, which is, like, some people attribute to Jane, but she never actually fought for Elizabeth to be there. She only fought for Mary. So Jane suffers a miscarriage, um, generally around 1536. But she actually gets pregnant pretty soon after that. So Jane's pregnant, she's craving stuff, and she's really, really craving quail. So what Henry does is he gets birds shipped in from Calais and Flanders and like, just like all the quail, bring the quail. But um, by the summer of 1537, Jane is, Jane basically retires from all of her public duties as queen. And... And she ends up, like, having a pretty lonely existence because by September, she was in complete confinement. Like, absolutely. 
Uh, she had no social engagements and her day was spent dealing with doctors and physicians and, you know, proclaimers and shit. Like, it's eh. So Jane goes into labour on the 9th of October in 1537. And this lasts three days and three nights. And most modern physicians feel like they think the baby was probably in an awkward position and that it was just a long and arduous childbirth. And at 2am on the 12th of October 1537, Jane Seymour gives birth to what, you know, would have been her golden ticket, Prince Edward, a boy for Henry. Needless to say, Henry's elated at this. Finally, finally has an heir. So on the 15th of October, Princess Mary is named Edward's godmother and Mary even carries Edward's train during the christening along with Elizabeth. Like Jane should have attended the christening but you know the the birth was pretty traumatic on her anyway. You know she was sitting in bed and receiving letters and so Jane is feeling well enough that you know she So she doesn't go to the christening, but she receives, you know, guests regarding the christening in her apartments on the 15th of October. But then on the 16th, she starts having diarrhea and then she starts vomiting and she is very quickly going downhill. She is very quickly deteriorating to the point that on the 17th of October, she's given her last rites. But then... She takes a good turn and Henry continues the christening celebrations. But by the 19th, Jane becomes feverish again and delirious. And Henry is actually concerned about Jane. So like he was supposed to go to Esher for the hunting season, which was about to start. But he puts it off so that he can be near Jane. And on the 23rd, it is very clear that Jane is on her last legs, that she doesn't have long left. And he is summoned to her bedside. And he stays with her that night until she passes on the early hours of the 24th of October. So Henry grieves as much as Henry is able to grieve. He locks himself away in Windsor, refusing to see anybody for three weeks. And then he wears like a full mourning garb for three months. And he takes up embroidery, which is what what James is really known for and into and he just starts taking up embroidery because it reminds him of Jane. There are arguments about what actually killed Jane. There's a suggestion that it started off as food poisoning but then suffered an embolism in the heart. But uh, there's possibility of a bacterial infection and the other option is or like part of the placenta was still in the body so on and so forth. Jane Seymour died at the age of 29 and was queen for less than two years. Her funeral was held on the 12th of November in 1537. And this was held at Windsor Castle with Mary Tudor acting as the chief mourner. What's weird about Jane is that apart from her asking Henry about the monasteries, like we don't have any quotes from her. Like none. In two years, nothing. No official statements. Like none of it's there. It's just weird that there's nothing in record considering she was Henry's favourite because she brought him the boy. In the future when Henry is married to Catherine Parr he commissions this family portrait of him and his children and instead of his wife Catherine Parr being in, in it Henry and Jane. When Henry dies in 1547 his last wish is for his attendants to bury him beside Jane. 
Henry and Jane are interred in a vault in St. George's Chapel in Winter Castle. The original tomb he had planned was only partially constructed and never got completed, but like, yeah, whatever. It would be very interesting to see what Jane could have done had she been less dead. So like some people think that Jane was a pawn and that she sort of flitted between shit and... But I just don't like the fact that we vilify Anne for this behaviour, but when it comes to Jane, it's seen as somehow virtuous. Like that doesn't make sense to me. But we do have to take consideration the sociological and cultural perspective of the time. Henry was relentless and he's the king and he gets what he wants. And sometimes I think that Anne didn't really have a choice when it came to Henry's advances. And as such, did Jane really have a chance? Was it ever really an option for her? Especially considering her age. Like, I doubt she was biding her time awaiting Henry to notice her. It is food for thought, isn't it? But anyway, therein lies our story of Jane Seymour, Henry's favourite queen. So, what have we learned today? The only way to be good is to have a son and then die instantly. (laughs) Diarrhea is nobody's friend. Okay, we've learned that perception and propaganda are absolutely prominent. And that everything is about perspective. Jane Seymour probably wouldn't have been as revered had Anne Boleyn not been seen as such a homewrecker. Like, she bewitched and usurped the throne. Whereas Jane was so good and was the saviour of the whole scenario. And honestly, we need to stop blaming women for men in power abusing it. If you like today's story, uh, rate and review on iTunes. It really, really helps. You have no idea how much it helps. It means it gets me out there, me talking about more history stuff. If you have anything you want me to cover, just feel free to like tweet or message or anything like that. I'm on Twitter as Who Did What Now PD. I'm on Instagram and TikTok as Who Did What Now Pod. And there's also a Who Did What Now Pod uh, page on Facebook. If you want to support me as well, I also have a Patreon. If you want to provide any financial stuff to help me. Because <laughs> hosting ain't free. Uh, <laughs> and I'd be very much appreciative. And it has been absolutely wonderful to share yet another story with you. Before I go... I got, I got my first mail, <gasps> my first snail mail. I have uh, the the Atmosphere video cassette board game and The Five by Halle Ribbonhold. Uh, so once I finish reading that, I promised that whoever would give it to me, I would pass on. And I can't wait to tell you about Anne of Cleves next time. Adios, au revoir, au revoir, my friends. Bye-bye. Hello everyone, Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.